Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you have all had a good Friday so far, and uh, hope everybody is getting prepared for Easter weekend. Delaney, do you have uh, big Easter plans? I'm just going home, and I think mom's, I don't know if my mom is making Easter dinner, or she might have just decided to say, screw it, we're going out to eat. I don't know yet. Hey, a Casey's pizza for Easter dinner is hard no, to No, no, no. I think there, there was some Easter brunch she was asking me about. I said, I don't care. I just don't want to have to cook. Gotcha. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. I'm Mike Pearson, and that's Delaney Howell, and we are the co-hosts here of Ag News Daily. I suppose I ought to introduce the podcast. And yes. for those of you unfamiliar with the Midwest, Casey's is a gas station chain. They have, I think, some of the best pizza going. I agree. But all that aside, I'm also I'm going to go, uh, Heidi and I are going to go down to Des Moines and, and visit my mom and the rest of the sisters on Easter Sunday after church. and. Good. Uh, yeah, have a have a little have a little tasty meal. I don't know. My mom was talking about scalloped potatoes, which mm. I love. Cheesy cheesy taters. It's a win win. Yes. Well, today is Good Friday, and I was uh, just reminiscing with my dad the other day. He said, "Oh, you should try and get on a livestock auction person, or talk about how on Good Friday it's a big day for sales." Because it's kind of a time of rebirth. Everything's starting to come back to life after winter, even though we didn't really have a brutal winter this year. But a lot of people are buying baby lambs and bucket calves and baby chickens and ducks. And I kind of miss it, kind of don't at the same time. Yeah, well, you know, I'm excited. I don't know if I've told you this, Delaney, but all of my ducks have hatched. Oh. I will be in the duck business here in about four to six weeks. We'll be in the... Well, we'll be raising ducks, and then eventually we'll be in the duck egg business. But uh, So if anybody wants duck eggs, look Mike up. Look me up, by all means. Apparently, <laughs> the reason I'm excited about this is duck eggs uh, retail at farmer's markets and so on for like six bucks a dozen. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to fill up hey, my feed yard with ducks. If you need anybody to go to the farmer's markets for you, I'll only take a 20% commission. Hey, well, commission's negotiable. We'll, uh, we'll see how you do. Uh, we'll set some pretty strict sales targets. <laughs> All that being said, Delaney, as you mentioned, it is it is a time of rebirth, particularly on Sunday, when uh, that is, in fact, what Easter is about. I guess rebirth maybe isn't the right word. It's the uh, arising, I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's springtime. Bottle calves. You got any bottle calves this year? No, there's nobody at home to take care of them anymore. Oh, well, you know, you can oh. always... Get the automated Although, milker. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe, uh, actually, probably within the next couple of years, my nephew will probably maybe have a bucket calf project. Perfect. Hey, if any of you uh, out there have great uh, bottle calf, bottle, bucket calf stories, hop on our Facebook page at Ag News Daily and uh, let us know. Let's, I love reading about those kind of things, you know? I do, too. And and include pictures, please. Of course. Everybody loves cute little baby calf. They're just the friendliest little things. <laughs> um, and, in fact, Delaney, while, we're, while I'm thinking about this, I want to give a huge shout-out to our buddy Chad. He's on Twitter at Hort for Cy. He is our first person to rate and review us on iTunes. So a huge thank you to Chad and to all the rest of you who do subscribe via iTunes. Please, please, please. Hop in there and uh, rate and review us. It uh, helps promote us amongst iTunes, and it gives people who aren't familiar with the podcast maybe a little bit about what to expect. And so, uh, so please do, and we'll be sure to give you a shout out. You know, little little quid pro quo, as it were. That's right. That's yeah. right. And for those of you that maybe don't aren't quite as technologically savvy, we did. We are working to put together a quick little video explaining how to download podcasts, get them in iTunes, and rate and review us. So. 
if you don't know how to do it, stay tuned because we will teach you. We will teach you. And in that video, there is also cameo footage of fainting goats <laughs> because fainting goats are awesome. Speaking yeah, uh -huh. of all that, Delaney, do we have any news today? We do have some news today. Not a lot. Um, the markets obviously aren't open today, so we won't be doing any market updates. But just a few quick stories here. We've been talking a little bit about the EPA and some of their new regulations that they're trying to roll out, or actually deregulations would it be a better way to describe it. So on, I think, let's see, what day was this? Um, I don't, it doesn't say the day in the article I'm reading, but anyways, the EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, announced that he wants the agency to have a back to basics agenda. And so with that, obviously, uh, they're going to have to cut some things and refocus their mission if President Trump's budget cuts are pushed through. And so with that, a few of the proposed budget cuts would include decreasing grants that would monitor state and public water systems, reduce spending on civil and criminal enforcement of environmental penalties, eliminating regional cleanup initiatives for some water areas, eliminating climate protection program, and eliminating research and screening efforts for endocrine disruptors. So a lot of deregulating efforts would be pushed through, and they really just want to go back to the basics of what I can tell, maybe more of our traditional some, from what some of our ancestors had as far as taking care of the land and being good stewards and all of that. Sure. By and large, it kind of sounds like a mixed bag for American ag. There's going to be uh, less right. money available for enforcement, which, you know, hopefully, hopefully none of our listeners have ever caused a spill or a fish kill or anything mm -hmm. like that. But less money available for enforcement, you know, does make that a little bit easier. One less thing to worry about but also right. less money available for cleanup which you know as much as we all like being outdoors and embracing uh, the wildness of america's uh parks and rivers and you know whatnot yeah that might be a might be a bit of a downside yeah so it'll we'll see you know one of those issues that uh people have been talking quite a bit about cleanup is the dakota access pipeline um, if you are like me here in the in Iowa, where Dakota Access Pipeline comes through, as it comes from the Bakken on down into Illinois, there was much hullabaloo as we went into the winter about the camp that was set up just outside the Standing Rock Reservation, um, where people were protesting and physically blocking the path of this pipeline. President Obama then pulled its approval uh, for crossing under uh, uh, the Missouri River. President Trump, one of his first acts i believe it happened during his first week he reinstated it said nope 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 army corps said you can go through you're drilling under that now we're to the point where the dakota access pipeline will start carrying oil uh in mid-may there have been wow yeah so i mean they they were pretty well done when that that pipeline uh, protest was going on it was really just mm -hmm. that final link under the missouri river and mm -hmm. since then, there has been some vandalism not too far from where I live in Powashik County. I believe it was Mahaska County, Iowa. Uh, vandals went down there. They knocked off some, some valves and, and kind of did some several million dollars worth of damages. But the company's pressed ahead, and now that should start moving oil, which is one less thing on the railroad tracks come fall when we're trying to get potentially all of these millions of bushels of soybeans out of the Dakotas. So possibly a big benefit for uh, our North and South Dakota friends if they're uh, growing more beans this year. Right. Yeah, oil kind of serves as a double-edged 
what is that saying? Double-edged sword? I've said yeah. it before. Yeah, sword with, with two edges. Cuts both ways. Right, yeah. because because there's the problem of eminent domain. Right. And, you know, then there's also on the flip side, we need rail, and this frees up some of that space or market. Yeah, and, you know, at the end of the day, once these things are carrying oil, they're going to be permanent. So this is going to be mm-hmm. permanent, it looks like, by uh, by mid-May. Well, Any other news for us, Delaney? Well, before we t- touch on the grassland dairy issue, I just wanted to update our listeners. I saw this this morning, and it's that Brazil, with their recent scandal, hasn't made much of a dent in their total beef exports. They're down just 3% from where they were this time last year. So not really affected. I think we're kind of pushed through with that whole issue. I think it's pretty much over. Yep, yep. It sounds like it. There was a lot of hope amongst American cattle producers that, you know, maybe the Chinese market or the European market would be closed to Brazilian exports. Right. And it was for, you know, 10 days. And then they reopened it, even though it's taken China 13 years to reopen our mm-hmm. market from BSE or uh, mad cow disease. Right. So, you know, yeah. Uh, Every every good deed uh, goes unpunished or whatever that saying mm-hmm. is. I've, I've got a little bit of news as we transition to uh, continue our talk this week about dairy because that issue in Wisconsin is still ongoing. Our good friend, I was Secretary of Agriculture, who was on the podcast during our first week, forward me a forwarded me an article yesterday. Uh, Bill still listens. Thank you very much, Mr. Northy, for your uh, continued support of Ag News Daily. He is a member of NASDA, which is the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. And NASDA, the National Milk Producers Federation, U.S. Dairy Export Council, and the International Dairy Foods Association sent a letter to President Trump. And uh, also, uh, they sent this letter to Trump asking Trump to address Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to change the new pricing policy and restore imports into Canada. And really what they said, it was a very, very strongly worded issue. They said that uh, basically what Canada is doing is absolutely against NAFTA. And here is what their quote is. The U.S. dairy sector and state ag officials today urge President Donald Trump to take immediate action against Canada's repeated and escalating disregard for its trade obligations under the North American Free Trade Act. And so most recently, of course, they changed their policy, as we will learn through our interview later today. And it blatantly blocks American dairy exports and will enable significant dumping of Canadian dairy products onto the world market. So that's the the context for the the world that Wisconsin dairy producers and Minnesota and upper upper uh, New York dairy producers mm. are living in today. Right. And following up with that, I received an email from a representative at Grasslands. They were unable to speak with us today, but hopefully next week we'll be touch- talking to the VP of Business Development. But in the meantime, they sent me this statement. They said, Grassland recently made the difficult decision to reduce our milk intake volumes. After years of selling milk product into Canada, our Canadian partners notified us that due to their new Canadian regulations, they would stop purchasing our products effective immediately. The Canadian business affects grasslands up to 1 million pounds of milk per day. After evaluating and adjusting as much milk as possible, we were forced to decrease our milk intake. In the past years, Grassland has worked tirelessly with state and federal officials, Governor Walker and Paul Ryan, 
national and state industry organizations, USDEC and NMPF, along with the media, an attempt to keep Canadian trade. Despite our attempts to keep trade open, we have been unsuccessful and regretfully will no longer be able to take the milk in from some producers. While this came suddenly, for both our company and for the farmers, we hope the farms will be able to transition during the next several weeks. This was a difficult decision and made with the utmost respect for the hardworking dairy farmers. So there we go. That is the statement from Grasslands. And uh, as Delaney mentioned, hopefully we will get more detail from them in person over this next week. Uh, as as everyone can probably imagine, they have been swamped as well since this mm-hmm. policy was announced uh, April 1st. Um, but today, Delaney, we did have the pleasure of talking to the Wisconsin Dairy Business Association Director of Government Affairs. His name is John Holyvote, and he spent the day in a meeting with the affected producers. And uh, mm-hmm. he told us before we were able to get on with the interview that uh, there, was, there was a lot of tears, there is a lot of uncertainty, there is yeah. uh, a lot of nervousness in that crowd. And uh, he helped share with us what he's been hearing what, if any, potential solutions are out there, and basically just where things sit. So, Delaney, should we turn it over to uh, John? Let's do that. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, as a lot of you know, we've been talking quite a bit this week about the uh, current situation with regard to Canada's dairy import policies and what that has meant for some producers up in Wisconsin and in New York. And today we are talking to John Holyvote. He is with the uh, Dairy Business Association uh, up there in Wisconsin. Now, John, tell us, what is your title? I'm the Director of Government Affairs for DBA. All right. So Director of Government Affairs when you approach an issue like this one, uh, what all is required? How long have you known that Canada was changing their uh, import policies? Well, Canada has been uh, has taken a pretty uh, harsh stance on the export of the ultra-filtered 85 milk uh, for quite some time. So we knew that there was a possibility that this might be coming. We've been working actually for the past over the past year talking with members of our congressional delegation, trying to make sure they were aware of the issue, um, trying to make sure we could try to avoid what's now happened. Um, so it has actually been a while that this issue has been out there. I'd say at least uh, people, it's been on people's minds for at least a year. Um, but as our secretary of ag probably describes it, it's, it's sort of like uh we saw them putting the door on. We just didn't know when they were going to slam it shut, and we were surprised by how abruptly they slammed it shut. That makes sense. Now, you just stepped out, or you just got out of a meeting, and what meeting was that, and what was accomplished, or was anything accomplished? Uh, it was a meeting of a group of affected producers uh, held uh, sort of in a, what was a fairly central location for most of the impacted farms in Wisconsin. There are also impacted farms in Minnesota from the same decision. Um, so it was a, a group of people sort of getting together for an update on where things are at and also to talk about different possible options for a solution. Um, no great silver bullets out there. And also we're sort of talking about long-term and short-term solutions, right? Mm-hmm. We want want something to be done for them where they want to ship their milk to here in just a couple of weeks. Um, but also there needs to be long-term solutions to try and provide us with uh, better market access, growing markets, uh, for all of our products long term. 
That's the truth. And one of the things we've seen over the past, uh, well, several years, at least since the drought of 2012, is the the incredible efficiency that American dairy farmers have realized and the incredible output that we've been able to achieve over those past couple of years. Um, it's, it's both a, a blessing and a curse, I suppose. How are, how is the dairy industry doing as a whole in Wisconsin? I think we're still a strong place to dairy for sure. Um, in fact, that's part of the complication here. We do have a lot of out of state milk, uh, that's shipped into Wisconsin because we're a great place to ship your milk. We have uh, a lot of private processors. We're an appealing place to uh, uh, get rid of your excess capacity for our neighboring states. But when we have a, a sudden change in market like this was, um, it sort of leaves us scrambled to say, you know, it's you know, where we where do we send our own uh, milk produced in state? And I don't mean that. Uh, as a pejorative, you know, it's nothing. We have members in other states um, of our, we have an affiliated co-op that we work with, um, and that co-op has members in neighboring states, some of whom do ship their milk already to Wisconsin. Um, our bigger concern is actually um, large pooled amounts of milk that are being shipped in um, and being sold for well under market value. It's hard for these farmers then to compete with a, with a cheesemaker who maybe doesn't have much margin to begin with, and it's getting at it maybe four or five under a uh, hundred weight from what they'd have to pay a, a Wisconsin farmer. And typically those large pools, that's coming in from a, a, a producer's co-op in another state. Typically, is uh, that, that where this yeah, is coming right. from? Yep. Okay. Yep. Is... But especially because we have so many private processors here, private processor couldn't pay below federal minimum, but the private co-op can. Oh. So that's mm. the only way it's really possible for them to to have the discount. Gotcha. Is access milk a concern? I mean, I was reading an article earlier today that said Canada is a 36 million people country and they just can't afford to have all this extra milk in. Is that really the case or is there too much milk production going on in Wisconsin? Uh, I don't think that it's too much milk production in Wisconsin. Again, it's sort of a balancing of where these markets should go when you have a, a quick shift and how to better react to it. We still import milk into the state. So even if, even if all of our Wisconsin producers shipped in state only, which is not true, but they shipped only in state and we only made cheese and other products from our milk, our cheesemakers would want more cheese. In fact, they need more cheese to fill their current orders. We're probably operating about a 10% deficit. Wow. So it's just not that, it's not that simple. Um, the flow of milk is not as, common sense is a lot of people would think, right? It's not just a question of I produce here, so I'm going to ship to the plant down the road. I might produce here and I might use a broker from another state to ship to another state. Gotcha. Even though there's a cheese plant down the road from my house. Yeah. Well, you go where the, uh, the best market sense. is. Um, one of the things, mm -hmm. and since you're on the government relations side, uh, there's been a lot of talk. We uh, we heard earlier about a uh, release from the National Association of State Secretaries of Agriculture that this action by Canada is probably a violation of NAFTA. Is that something you've had time to, to look into at all? Does it seem like there's more at play here? Yeah, I think there's a good case to be made to the World Trade Organization if, if this ultimately ends up there. And probably for uh, might provide us with an opportunity for retaliatory uh, action, um, but that takes a long time to litigate. Mm -hmm. So while I think that's an important thing to keep pursuing, uh, it's also 
far from an immediate uh, solution. It's not even a sort of uh, intermediate uh, solution. It's a, a long-term gotcha. for us to have in our toolbox. Gotcha. So, so speaking a little more short-term here, what were some solutions or ideas that people had at your meetings today to deal with this initial impact of the May 1st deadline? I think, to be honest, we're probably still scrambling. Some of the milk has been picked up. Um, we are asking our uh, producing our, excuse me, our processing community here in the state to uh, step up as much as they possibly can. We understand that some other plants are operating full capacity. Others may not be, but they don't have a market for the product that they could make more. They wouldn't have anywhere to sell it. Um, and we understand that that's a challenge for all of us, but we are in it together. We're, I think, uh, unique in the country. Or maybe we led the way in the country for ha- for building better and closer relationships between our farms and our processing community. They used to be very adversarial. Hmm. Um, uh, the collaborative uh, system that we have here, this is this is us asking for the help and when we need it. You know, for a long time, we had processors in the state who wanted more milk, wanted more milk, encouraged modernization to get more milk because we've been operating at the deficit we just talked about. Mm-hmm. We stepped up and we made those changes. We improved genetics, improved diet, and we've produced more milk. Now we need the help, and we hope they'll step up too. We have a processor here who's taken five of these farms. Um, you know, if we have other large processors in the state who can take five more, if they all took five, we'd be in a lot better place. Yeah, and of the total affected producers, is the number still about 75 farms? Is that kind of uh, what you've heard? That was reported out, and it's a little high. So okay. the most accurate figures that I've seen are 58 here in Wisconsin from uh, this action by Grassland, so tying directly back to the uh, UF-85 exports, and then nine more in Minnesota that we're mm-hmm. shipping to Grassland. Gotcha. Now, so with these solutions, do you anticipate, I mean, there's been um, voiced what do I want to say, voice action by the president and some other agriculture commissioners. Do you anticipate government intervention in this matter? Is that an option? Oh, I think from a trade perspective, I think it will happen. Um, How effective it is uh, and whether it's something that they negotiate on their own, this is an issue that's taken up separately or as part of a broader uh, package of discussions. It's too early to tell. Um, But I think that discussion is coming. Um, market access, uh, dairy market access to Canada is a big issue for us. And how about on the more, I guess this would be an intermediate and not even a solution, but is there, have you heard, is there talk of maybe a, a bailout, some kind of federal money as a stopgap, or does is there a margin protection insurance product that will help these producers? I, I mean, what what does May 2nd look like? for these producers? Well, I, I think those that are still have not found a processor at that point, um, it's going to become pretty urgent that they do. Um, but right now there's not any uh, anticipated bailout funds being made available. There's discussion about using some funds to to reduce inventories by buying product, uh, which okay. might help and might encourage more processors to take them on. But as far as cash payments or things like that, that really isn't on the table. Um, We don't like to think this way, but it's certainly important at least to think about what the transition might look like if you had to make the transition. So 
So you do it in the most orderly way and, and hopefully have the best possible outcome from that that you could. Um, but right now, I don't think that's on the horizon either from the state or federal government. Okay. So it's gotcha. right now, it's a it's a plan for the worst, hope for the best type situation. It is. Okay. Now, this US-85, this uh, ultra-filtered milk, is there... And I know, again, this is probably not something we can do in the next two weeks, but is there another export opportunity similar to Canada? Can we find buyers for enough uh, tonnage in Mexico or in China? Is it an exportable product in that sense, or was Canada really the the sweet spot? I don't know that Canada is the only market for this. Um, it has a It's more perishable than you would have with the powdered milk, right? Okay. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure about... Well, the farther away markets, I think actually you might have problems with shipping it that distance, um, which is one of the reasons why Canada works well. And you see the plants that were engaged in this trade were relatively close to the border, right? Wisconsin, upstate New York. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other possible markets. But uh, rest assured that I'm sure that Grassland and other companies engaged, knowing that Canada had this on their mind, they were already engaged in looking for other possible markets. Um because it's a it's a big part of their business too, you know. Grassland alone, this is a hundred million dollar a year uh, product for them, and that mm-hmm. line entirely gone now. Gosh, well, while wow. we've got you on the phone, John, what uh, what other issues are impacting dairy? I mean, this is something that's kind of brought particularly Wisconsin dairy up into the headlines again. In your role as uh, government affairs, government relations, what? else do you see that we should be aware of here in uh, that's affecting the dairy industry we probably have some state specific issues that we've been dealing with uh whether it relates to how we regulate groundwater controls here in wisconsin but more broadly um for your audience are the same issues that impact all other segments of agriculture impact us heavily so uh, we're talking about surface and groundwater quality um something that i know is uh, big news in Iowa, where you're based, also big news here in Wisconsin, where we are. Um, labor supply. And I don't just mean immigration reform, but that's one probably component of what labor supply would look like. We are really struggling with an aging population in rural America and with uh, a, a shrinking labor pool. So how do we combat that? And now we're no longer just talking about agriculture. We've got rural manufacturers in the same boat that we are now. Um, and uh, Immigration and also promoting in-migration from other states for these rural areas, both part of the solution to that problem. So uh, those combined with the ever-present environmental regulation hurdles that we have to deal with, um, that takes up a whole lot of our time. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, John. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Again, thank you to John for taking time out of his busy day. I know he was headed back to the office after this and hopefully home after that. But, you know, he really reiterated to us after we after we got off our interview that they don't want to provide a false sense of hope for a lot of these farmers because it's just so uncertain. 
Yeah, things are, are really up in the air as we look out uh, for a lot of these producers. And, of course, those of you who have been listening to us, remember the podcast from Wednesday when we spoke with uh, Jennifer Sauer, one of the affected dairy producers. We will continue to uh, to keep in contact with the folks that uh, we know up in that area. And as things change, hopefully for the better over the next two weeks, we will bring updates. In the meantime, folks, it is Easter weekend. Let's keep those producers in our prayers as well because those are multi-generation operations that are being affected by this and uh gosh there but for the grace of god go all of us so delaney do we have anything planned for next week other than the potential conversation with grasslands we do we have an exciting interview coming up next thursday with senator Joni ernst of iowa and she'll be talking to us hopefully about some epa regulations Right now, she's doing a 99-county tour of Iowa, and she'll have a lot of good things to talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure she will. She's also, of course, very active on the farm bill. And for those of you non-Iowans, Joni Ernst is our junior senator. She was elected in 2014. And one of the ways she swept into victory is, because she's a farm girl herself, she released an ad, and I encourage all of you to YouTube it if you haven't seen it, where she talks about uh, castration particularly hog castration, <laughs> yep. and she makes a joke about cutting the pork, which uh, it was really one of the uh, the better, probably the best political ad of that election cycle, um, especially if you're from a farm background. I think you'd get a kick out of it, but Joni is who will be talking to Senator Ernst, excuse me, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. So we want to wish every single one of you, if you celebrate Easter, a very merry Easter, and otherwise uh, a, a good Passover apologize if that's not the correct way and if you are not religious at all we just hope you have a great weekend and everybody tune in with us again next monday